Vegas takes over. Smith comes out to the neutral zone. Deals right. Marcia fires. He scores! Live from the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Smith to Marcia Four to two Golden Knights. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Wallace Chapman inside the Finley Chevrolet, Fox Sports, Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... So, Darren Millard, as we all know, and maybe we don't know, but as we all should know, Darren Millard is in Tokyo. Darren is going to be part of the Olympic coverage. I'm not really sure what exactly his assignment is, though. At some point, I I think he talked about water polo. And like, if there's something I know about Darren Millard, speaking on water polo is probably exactly where he should be. So for the next couple of weeks, while Darren Millard is, we're going to have some fun. You're probably going to hear Chris Chapman speak a lot more uh, than he's used to speaking but that's not necessarily a bad thing hey chapman how you doing i'm good and i'm i'm very jealous that darren is in tokyo obviously my connection to japan and that city are uh well if you listen to the show you know quite a bit that that i have a very strong bond and connection with japan but uh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm also excited for him because it's 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 pretty awesome to be part of olympics the olympic coverage I mean, I would imagine as anyone who gets into this business as a sports broadcaster, it's kind of a dream to be able to do that. So so there's some there's some envy on my end, but I'm also very happy and excited that our partner is is part of something so big and like I told him on Friday, I said the only thing the only thing is I'm I'm just I'm I'm kind of sad and disappointed that you really won't get to experience Japan the way I have and so many others have who visited because he's a going to be really really busy with work and obviously because of the state of emergency and restrictions and all sorts of stuff going on over there. He's really not going to get to experience Japan as he should have the opportunity to. So I got to ask you, like in terms of all the recommendations that you made to Darren last week, how many of them do you actually think he's going to visit or check in on or actually actually utilize like how much do you think he put stock into what you told him to do i think he put a lot of stock into it now i i i don't think he will try the egg salad sandwich i'm, I'm just gonna why I, because i that was I, your that was your first that was the first it. thing i know and and the funny thing is i got that from from uh from uh what's his anthony bourdain that was one of his really? things. Yes, when he, when he, whenever, and and there's another chef, David. I, I'm blanking on his name, but the, that the other chef actually, one who wants to be a millionaire, when they were doing it with no audience, they were donating all this money to charity. He was actually the first celebrity to win the one million dollars, and it was an episode of No Reservations where Bourdain meets up with him in Tokyo, and uh, actually maybe it wasn't No Reservations. It may have been the other one that he did. Uh, but anyway, they meet up in Tokyo, and the guy, he's like, yeah, when I moved to Tokyo, I had no money, so I was eating at a convenience store. He goes, egg salad sandwich? Because it's the best thing you can buy in, in Japan for, for the money. It's like a dollar, and it is by far and away one of the best things you can eat for money. For, for how little it costs and how good it is, it's simply amazing. I, I, I hope he tries it because I want him to come back and be like, 
Yeah, I tried that egg salad sandwich, and you you nailed it, Chapman. It was it was pretty damn awesome. Okay, but here's the thing, Chapman. And we know Darren I, won't do that. I don't. <laughs> I, well, that's that's what that's exactly what I was going to say. Like in terms of whether or not Darren is going to take your recommendations, that's one thing, right? Like that's completely one thing. But whether or not he takes your recommendations and then comes back here and says, you know what, Chapman, you were right. Like that was perfect. I don't think you're going to get that, even if it was fantastic, even yeah. if it's the best sandwich he's ever had. See, now I know I know that. someone who won't do that, who would actually go to Japan, eat the egg salad sandwich, come back and be like, yeah, that Chris Chapman, he nailed it. And that's Brian McCormick, who's actually joining us right now. <laughs> I'm so there confused, fellas. I'm glad I put you on the spot, okay. too. Well, I was really, Chapman. really shaken what, what conversation I walked in in the middle of. Okay, so here's the thing, and... For those, we were trying to do this gracefully. Unfortunately, technical difficulties get in the way. Of course, that's the way that it would be. But Brian McCormick, the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights, is going to be my special guest co-host today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. It's going to be fantastic. I'm really excited to get uh, into the nitty-gritty of what's going on in the (laughs) NHL with Brian. But um, we were talking about some recommendations that Chris Chapman gave to Darren Millard before his trip to Tokyo. And I was going on and on about how Darren will likely not use any of Chapman's travel tips. Even though Chapman has been to Tokyo many times, he's very, very well-traveled. I just don't think that Darren's going to go to any of the places that Chris told him to go to. And on top of that, even if he does, and Chapman's main recommendation was you've got to try an egg salad sandwich at Lawson's. Correct, Chapman? Lawson's, yep. Lawson's is a convenience store. That's you, you travel halfway and, around the world for an egg salad sandwich? Well, that's no, exactly that, what he does. That 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 is not the only thing to get in in Japan, but when when you <laughs> land and you're you're looking for something and you're you're tired, you're jet lagged, Lawson's egg salad sandwich and the best thing is you can you can buy a beer at the convenience store and you could pop it open as soon as you walk out of the the store and you walk down the street and you could drink your Kirin Ichiban eating that egg salad sandwich. Chat, chat, these are the kinds of recommendations I would expect if I asked you when I go to Loveland, Colorado, what I should do. <laughs> but apparently, but, we're, also, we're also we're assuming that Darren's going to be able to get outside of the Olympic Village at all with the circumstances they have in Tokyo for the Olympics. So, you know, what are your best recommend, uh, recommendations for the Olympic Village commissary? That might be what Darren needs. You know what? I hope they cater the commissary with nothing but egg salad sandwiches from Lawson. So when oh, Darren, Darren comes back and he's like, Man, I ate your damn egg salad sandwich every single day. That would be fantastic. Just bombard him with with the egg salad sandwiches. Lawson's Deli in Tokyo. That sounds. <laughs> Gordon Weigers just went to back to Long Island. I think he told me the exact same story. No, and that's when you hit Wawa. You you, 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 know, you get the the the, uh, the the hoagie from Wawa when you're when you're back. The beautiful east. thing about this. The beautiful thing about this is that. Brian's been on the program now for just about six minutes, and he's already <laughs> filling right in yeah. to understanding what Darren deals with on a daily basis with you, Chapman. I like, it didn't take long. That poor Darren, what he's conversation, actually... I was, I was, you know, like, I was what conversation I was, am I getting into? As I was preparing to join this program, I was told, well, when Darren's here, you know, Chapman takes a lot of abuse. I was like, well, why the heck would that be? And now I kind of, <laughs> right. Don't worry, fellas, I can handle this job. 
<laughs> first-hand account as to why that is. Well, anyway, Brian, thank you for jumping on. Thank you for joining us over the next couple of days. It's going to be really good to get into some of the happenings in the NHL. Of course, dive in a little bit more on the Golden Knights, what their off-season outlook should look like. But first and foremost, thank you for being a special guest host as we go through this time navigating the program on some some really up some really awesome upcoming events. We've got the expansion draft coming up next week, the entry draft after that, and then free agency. And I'm sure nothing is going to get too crazy in the next three weeks. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, with with uh, the expansion draft, the regular draft. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, I'm going to be interested uh, later on the program as we, we go into this. It's going to be such an unusual free agency. There's some big fish out there that for sure, uh, league-wide. But sometimes we see everybody vanish on July 1st by 12.05 uh, Eastern time. Mm-hmm. And then other times we see it play on for a month, a month and a half as the, the big fish really wait out the market. But I, I have to think a year like this, coming off this COVID season where, you know, they're financial hardships for the best and the worst of the situation for teams it was, it was a rough year to, to you know handle the uh, the books and on top of that an abbreviated offseason as well you know i don't know how many players are really going to want to drag things out i mean it could be a, a pretty sporadic market so you know we'll, we'll get some uh, input from people who are better versed in that than, than you and i but uh, i think this is going to be a very very chaotic month for better or worse, uh, <laughs> in a very, very sprinted off season, And before you know it, it's going to be October again. So thank you for having me on the show. I'm sorry to be a couple minutes late with uh, tech difficulties. I always make a good first impression. Uh, but, you know, there's uh, <laughs> aside from the playoffs themselves, there really is no more fun time of year to be talking hockey than this uh, this month because we all get to put our GM hats on. We all get to uh, enjoy all the, the rumors and the conspiracies and the what-ifs and what-could-bes. Uh, and we're going to get a lot of answers really, really soon. So uh, it's going to be a fun week to go through everything. And it's already begun because today was a pretty active news day as well. You're, you're absolutely right. And we can get right to that off the bat here. In the biggest news of the day, it's a transaction. And it is one that, you know, you look at it from one team's perspective, you understand it. You look at it from the other team's perspective and you say, uh, okay, um, mm-hmm. I don't really know why you did what you did, but here's the trade. We're going to get right into it. It's Duncan Keith, and he is now a member of the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers trade for Duncan Keith. Chicago receives Caleb Jones and a conditional third-round pick. And the Oilers, as we already mentioned, get Duncan Keith, his full $5.538 million cap hit for the next two seasons, the 37-year-old Duncan Keith. Why did the Oilers make this trade? Now, yo, Ryan, before we before we go into that, I'm just going to flesh this out a little bit more because I just got help from uh, Sage Sammons, who's standing in the wings, and, and he just pulled up a, a Pierre Lebrun tweet, which it looks like there's a little bit more context. So the deal now reads, supposedly, this, I'm just going to read Pierre's tweet word for word. Full Oilers-Hawks deal. Duncan Keith and Tim Soderlund go to Edmonton, Caleb Jones, and a 2022 third-round pick go the other way. That 2022 conditional pick becomes a second-rounder if Edmonton wins three rounds in 2022 uh, postseason, (laughs) and Keith is amongst the top four Oilers in D ice time during the first three rounds of the 2022 (laughs) playoffs. All right, so everyone, please pull over to the side of the road and get out your pen and pad. We're going to go through this again. The conditions, it's Duncan Keith and Tim Soderlund for Caleb Jones and a conditional pick. The conditions of that pick are, right now, 
It's a 2022 third-round pick. <laughs> However, it becomes a second-round pick if Edmonton wins three rounds, so it makes it to the cup final in 22. Uh, in 22. Yep. And yep. Duncan Keith is amongst the top four in Oilers' defensive ice time during the first three rounds of the 22 playoffs. And, uh, okay, so basically Duncan Keith has to win all three rounds for this game. <laughs> so, all right, that adds a little more context that at least there's something going the other way to Edmonton with Duncan Keith, but it still doesn't change the overall uh, bury the lead headline of what this is, Ryan, which is the Chicago Blackhawks who were in absolutely no question a we-need-to-unload-Duncan-Keith salary mindset for two reasons, mm -hmm. A, for their own finances, and B, because Duncan Keith sounded as though he wanted to leave. He wanted to go to closer to British Columbia for family. So you would think, wouldn't it be Chicago who would need to, especially if Chicago is not going to retain any salary whatsoever, which is stunning. Right. But wouldn't right. Chicago have to sweeten the pot for Edmonton? It, it should be that way. Like, it, Chicago in this situation didn't have any leverage, right? Like, right. You, you look at this, you've got a player that, that wants to go. You've got uh, a, a, an ability to get out from under a contract that really no one should want to take on at this stage. And yet Chicago is the one that's essentially getting more assets back in return. And the no salary retention for me just baffles me. Because if you're going to throw something in to sweeten the pot, you're Ken Holland, you're sweetening the pot here, then give me a break on the, on the cap hit for Duncan Keith. I understand the actual money out the door isn't that much over these final two years. But against your cap, when you've got players in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl making a lot of money, You've got to find ways to cut corners there. I don't understand what Ken Holland's doing here. And let's, so let's give a little bit more context to just the, the full scope of the deal. Of course, Duncan Keith for uh, Caleb Jones and, and a pick is, is the meat of it. Tim Soderlund has spent the last two years in North America. He's a former fourth-rounder. Uh, he's played roughly 55 games as a forward. He's a winger. 55 games in the American Hockey League with Rockford. He's got a goal and eight points. Uh, he spent some time with the Indy Fuel of the ECHL last year as well. So this is not a guy, presumably, who's competing for a job in October. So let's put, right. you know, maybe that's just to, to balance the, the scales a little bit, uh, add more bodies to the trade, what have you. To your point, Ryan, again, if you're not retaining any salary, shouldn't it have to be Chicago saying, hey, please take this entire salary off our books. Here's some more picks to make it worth your while. It's almost like during the expansion draft when teams didn't want certain guys picked and they said, hey, we'll make it worth your while. Here's some incentive to, to play ball. But Edmonton is taking on the full salary. It's a deal that isn't going to get any better over time for Edmonton. It could get better for Chicago, which is now completely out from mm -hmm. under it. And what's stunning yep. to me is you look at the cap situation for the Oilers now. Now, this is an Oilers team that had a disappointing exit in the first round. They, they're they definitely in a mode of like, all right, we need to change something to get better. If you make this deal for 2015 even, Duncan Keith, you're probably not blinking. That's not who Duncan Keith has been anymore. And you, it's it's Duncan Keith is going to be in the Hall of Fame, so this is in no way a, a, a slight at Duncan Keith. But he's up there in years, and I don't know how much – you can bank on a change of scenery, getting him back on track for the next two years. You're you're under more than five and a half for the next two years for Duncan Keith. And and Ryan, what's amazing to me is they had Tyson Berry, and Tyson Berry's on the UFA market mm -hmm. now. Their salaries are about the same now. Tyson Berry led all defensemen in scoring. He's going to get a little bit of a raise probably. Why wouldn't you want to use that money to try to keep Tyson Berry? 
with a little bit of a raise instead of giving it to a player who has appeared to be Hall of Fame credentials and all on the decline. Now, it's funny you guys it, had, had, had mentioned some of this about the salary because Darren Dreger literally just tweeted out as you guys were talking about this. It's actually kind of a funny tweet if you think about it. The price for Duncan Keith would have been much higher in terms of assets required from Edmonton if Chicago had retained salary. Well, it seems like Chicago got the better end of the deal anyway, even though they, they, they got a third. How much more could they have possibly gotten if they'd been willing to retain salary? I mean, a third seems like a pretty good a, a pretty good return for, for unloading that contract. But that's that's the whole crux of it. The the sweetener should have been thrown in to retain salary. Like right. there's no real reason here that the Edmonton Oilers part way with any type of extra pick without salary retained. It just it doesn't should, make it, any sense. Ryan, it should be here's a, a conditional pick to hang on to some salary. Or or yep. if you want me to take all five and a half, give me something else other than Tim Soderland. Right. I don't understand right. that. Exactly. You know, that. What came to mind for me, and, and uh, over the next three days, you might get some obscure movie references. I apologize for that. But <laughs> uh, a favorite of mine, it's a Christopher Guest film who made Best in Show. It's called Waiting for Goffman. And without getting into the entire thing, Fred Willard is in it. A very, very funny actor just passed away this past year. Um, but they're basically playing on a community play. And he says... You know what? When you don't know what to do up on stage, just just say a line. That's what I like to do. Just say a line. Doesn't this feel like doing something just to do something? I don't understand. Well, it, it, in a in a free agent market, that again is going to be tapped in a couple of weeks. Look at the defenseman here, out there on the blue line. We could be looking at Dougie Hamilton, mm-hmm. Tyson Berry. If again, now they, they've, I'm sure they looked into keeping Tyson Berry. They just figured that they couldn't. Maybe he wants to move on. Fair enough, but. You know there there are defensemen out here that are worth the money, at least a couple. Yes. And to 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 do this, put it this way: if I'm Chicago, I just law I just got rid of that salary. I'm pretty interested in signing Tyson Berry right now. Right. Or if you're gonna make a trade, Seth yeah. Jones is on the is on the market. There there are players and, up for grabs and teams that are in cap trouble, and you've just swallowed up. What one sixteenth of or one a huge chunk of your cap on Duncan Keith? Six point eight percent of your cap goes to Duncan Keith next year and presumably for the twenty twenty two twenty three season. And you know, to your point, like with Tyson Berry, and, and it'll be interesting to see if Tyson Berry does come back to the Edmonton Oilers. Like, given how badly it went in Toronto for Tyson Berry, I would assume that what he stumbled upon in Edmonton with the high-powered offense that they have and refinding that form, getting that scoring touch back in his game, like that's a pretty good situation for Tyson Berry. Quite honestly, the only thing that I can think of is you look at a guy that won three Stanley Cups, a Conn Smythe Trophy winner, and you say, well, there's intangibles that Duncan Keith brings to the table that an Edmonton Oilers team that hasn't been able to get out of the first round of the playoffs could undoubtedly use. And I, yeah. I'm not necessarily the biggest intangible guy, to be completely honest. That being said, if you're going to trade for intangibles, you better make it a trade that you're clearly getting a deal on. And that's not the case here for Ken Holland. It's not the case yeah. for the Edmonton Oilers. And quite honestly, like you look at this, and depending on how they kind of flesh out the rest of the roster with 
some of the other salary albatrosses that they have, James Neal coming to mind. Like This is not going to be easy for Edmonton to get better over the course of this offseason where really that, that next spot behind the Golden Knights in the Pacific Division is right there up for grabs. And, and that, Ryan, that's a great point you bring up with James Neal too because if you, if you keep him on the books, it's pretty much Duncan Keith money for the next two years. If you yeah. use the buyout, all right, well, now you've got dead cap space on James Neal. You've got more money tied up in in, uh, in Duncan Keith than he's worth. And at this moment, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Edmonton's got somewhere in the ballpark of $18 million of cap space to play with. So they, they still can bring guys back. It's just that right now, off the books from their blue line, uh, Adam Larson comes off. Tyson Barry is currently off. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov and Slater Cuckoo, those are, are a little less uh, of uh, a scramble to replace those guys. But, you know, you're, it means you're, you're probably bringing Caleb Jones into play. Duncan Keith playing top four ice time in the next three rounds, you know, for that condition. I think we're pretty comfortable that you're paying that money. He's going to be playing top four pairing uh, or t- top four defenseman minutes with the Oilers. But it, with the exit that the Oilers had, weren't we all talking about at the end of the year they needed to find some more answers for secondary scoring? Like that's where yes. we assume that most of that eighteen million was probably going to go towards, or that was going to be the big shopping item they tried to find. So now you've got a lot of money in Duncan Keith. You're losing the production of your best productive defenseman, presuming Tyson Berry is out the door. Then, and if you're going to buy yeah. out James Neal, that's dead cap space there too. So it's just it's very very confusing. If you want to bring a guy for intangibles to play mm-hmm. middle pairing minutes, and they're going to eat half his salary, you're going to pay him three million or less. I buy that. That makes sense. Sure. Duncan Keith yeah. brings something. If it's your team, you do what you want. The math here, I just don't really understand. So, so, like, are we kind of at a point right now where we can acknowledge and say this is kind of that turning point for for Ken Holland with the Edmonton Oilers? Because you could kind of say, okay, look at some of the deals that Pete Chiarelli signed. Like, there are some some pretty bad contracts. You're in a bad spot. You're trying to kind of rebuild this thing on the fly and now you've got you've got Ken Holland making decisions like this that really don't add up from a dollars and cents perspective they also don't add up from an on ice production perspective like is this now Ken Holland's mess to try to clean up and and can is he the right guy to get that done well you know again he's he's adding a guy who's going to be in the hall of fame and who has a resume in Chicago that may never be duplicated so i'm always of course going to say the hockey ops department in Edmonton sure as heck knows a heck of a lot more than I do, of course. And whatever they've discussed, whatever metrics they've seen, although most of the uh, the natural statric stuff I've seen doesn't really favor this deal either, fine. W- what I think is unfortunate now for Edmonton is that they're going to find themselves in the position not just of hoping that Duncan Keith comes and brings Duncan Keith production of 2015 and, pr- and before. You're now worried about what the person you're letting go is going to do elsewhere. So again, let's say the money you took off the books for Chicago, they turn around and give it to Tyson Berry. Let's say Tyson Berry goes to Chicago, fills Duncan Keith's shoes, and Tyson Berry at his best is not Duncan Keith, but he's he's not a bad prototype. And he becomes Duncan, and, and he puts up top five in the league scoring for the Chicago Blackhawks while things don't work out for you in Edmonton. Well, now you've got a real glaring side by side comparison of who won this trade because they literally took the relief you gave them and took the guy from your roster and had success with him. Assuming that Tyson Berry can replicate what he did this year and that his one Toronto season really is an outlier. That's the unfortunate thing I think for Edmonton now is not only do they want to win and not only now are they under pressure that they need to take a step forward from last year, 
and they need to use whatever cap space they have left wisely now because they've got a lot of money tied up in five or six guys. But now you also have to worry about whether it be uh, Barry, whether it be Seth Jones, Dougie Hamilton, the guys you didn't go for instead. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's presumed they have eighteen million. Maybe they take a swing at one more D man, and they could do that if they want to. But you know, now there's going to be a juxtaposition of like, okay, you made the first big splash, but you did it for someone who we think his best games might be in the rearview mirror. That's that's it's going to be wait and see mode, and that's not always a comfortable place to be sitting when you when you know you need to win now. You know, it's interesting because, like, for me, the two defensemen that that always come to to front of mind when it comes to the the big offseason acquisitions this year, it's going to be Dougie Hamilton, it's going to be Seth Jones, and and if I'm like if I'm Edmonton in this situation, I'm trying to make that deal. Like, I again, I know that there's Stanley Cup. Uh, experience I know that there's value in bringing in a guy that's won it before that's been able to get to the top of the mountain but like Dougie Hamilton is is a fantastic defenseman that would be my number one ad if I could go if I'm going in on a defenseman Seth Jones not far behind like I I just don't see a, a scenario or a reason why that's not kind of the first play for the Edmonton Oilers and Again, there, there's there's room for them to maneuver, but again, we, we all we all assumed that they'd want to do that maneuvering up front. So I agree. I'm surprised that this was the. F- I, I'm surprised that they seemed like they really wanted this to happen. We all assumed that if Duncan Keith ever left Chicago, and this for the last couple of years, that it would be them finding a partner, just like uh, Chicago getting Marion Hosa off their books, or you know, any example of an older player going to a team that's looking to reach the cap floor. Uh, or, or just in a position to, frankly, take advantage of them. And rather, it seemed that this was an instance where Edmonton wanted to make sure this deal got done. So uh, we'll see what Duncan Keith can do in, in, in a new setting. He's been playing the same place his entire career. Maybe that shakes things up, but it's uh, it's it's definitely going to require him to, to play better hockey than he has of late. Uh, and, and there's going to have to be a little bit of a rejuvenation there as well. Duncan Keith, now a member of the Edmonton Oilers. The Chicago Blackhawks have Caleb Jones and a third-round pick. I know there's conditions. We've talked about the conditions. It's essentially going to be a third-round pick, although I shouldn't put myself out there 100% because who knows, stranger things have happened. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to examine the three best players, perhaps the four best players of those Chicago Blackhawks, early 2010 teams that won Stanley Cups. We're going to put our, our, our flag in the sand and determine which one is the best of the three. Is it Taves? Is it Kane? Is it Keith? That's all coming up next on the VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas, Ryan Wallace, Brian McCormack, special guest host in the absence of Darren Millard, who's in Tokyo awaiting his assignment for the Olympics, and Chris Chapman back inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. We talked a lot exclusively, really, about the Duncan Keith trade. It's Duncan Keith to the Edmonton Oilers. And going the other way, Caleb Jones, a conditional third-round pick. So it got me thinking, 
about the Chicago Blackhawks that won three Stanley Cups in six seasons. And you had Jonathan Taves, you had Patrick Kane, you had Duncan Keith, Corey Crawford, I'll throw in there for a couple of the Stanley Cups. But, like, when you look at the fact that now it's Taves and Kane, that's all that remains from those cup-winning teams. Which player was the player that drove it the most? Who drove the bus the most for the Chicago Blackhawks? That's such a that's such a tough question. It's, it's so fun to look <laughs> back at that team. And, you know, I, I think yeah. there was – I heard a little bit of discussion about this after, after the Tampa Bay Cup win uh, last week. How when we came into the salary cap era, which believe it or not is now going on, what seven, uh, sixteen years now, um, would we ever see dynasty teams again? And of course, we haven't seen dynasty teams, but we've seen teams that right. were able to win back to back, and we've seen teams that have been able to hang around and, and get a, a fistful in a decade. This might be the best team of the of those conversations, and what makes it most impressive is you look at the uh, you know the, the four true anchors you can talk about for this this who was the the driver of the bus conversation Duncan Keith Jonathan Taves uh Patrick Kane Corey Crawford you could probably throw Brent Seabrook in there even though the last couple of years is a little bit of a, a decline before his retirement he was a stable for all those teams but what's so impressive is who they won with and without you know with those with with that core they still won with and without Marion Hosa with and without Dustin Bufflin with and without uh, Patrick Sharp was in and out in that in that window. Uh, you know, uh, Dave Boland. There's so there's so many. Um, I think it's really hard not to say Patrick Kane, and it's not just because what he did then; it's what he still does now. Uh, Patrick Kane, who will without question be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think it's it's so hard to to wrap your mind around greatness when you're seeing it in the moment. I think they say like the best player whoever lived is whoever your favorite player was when you were 12 years old, and we don't really keep up with the times <laughs> as time goes on. But you know, I think of great all-time American yeah. players, and you think of Roenick and Medano and Hull, so on and so forth. Patrick Kane has a, a thousand eighty-eight points in a thousand twenty-nine games, and he's—I mean—he's not really slowing down. He's—he's he's still over well over a point per game player. He's still got a lot left in the tank, so it's probably Patrick Kane. And yet, Ryan, if you ask me, you know, go back to 2010 and who do I want to build my team around, I'm probably picking Jonathan Taves. Mm -hmm. it, it, that's, yeah. that's what makes that team so good is that there were, there were three guys you would build your team around, and all three were really for completely different reasons. It, it's amazing when you kind of look back at those cup-winning championships or, or cup-winning teams and you look at all three guys with a Conn Smythe trophy, right? Like all three guys for every for each run were so dominant and so good. You had Jonathan Taves, who was fantastic in 2010. You had John, uh, Patrick Kane, who was so good in 2013. And Duncan Keith, who essentially played did, did so much and played at least 35 or 55% of all the minutes uh, in that playoff run. Like it, it, You look at those guys, and each one, I, I think, kind of had that defining moment throughout one of those playoff runs. So that's what makes it so difficult for me as I kind of reflect back and look back on those teams is that the, all three guys were undoubtedly at the top of their, of, of really of their skill set at various times. But for me, it's all in, in understanding what a core should be, right? Like you, you, you look at the fact that those three guys were a, a part of everything, all three. And they were the ones that you can kind of, that, that you couldn't 
leave behind. You couldn't move on from Keith or Taves or Kane in their prime because that is exactly what the core was. And everything else could kind of be interchanged. You can work through certain players in and out the door. But those three guys together, there was magic with them. And, and that really, to me, was, was what made them so good and so resilient in that six-year stretch. And, and that's also completely not even touching on the fact that Joel Quenville cemented his Hall of Fame legacy in those years, too. Uh, that, yeah, that team was a, was a juggernaut and a team that did a pretty – you know, here, here's your debate. Did they do a good job or not of managing – that salary situation because players came and players went and they still found ways to win. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in the short term, in the micro, they did a great job of keeping the core in place and shuffling through the supporting cast to consistently be winners. Now, the way they were able to do that was to give Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tave, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, exorbitant, ridiculous contracts that were going to keep them there. So that's where you say, <laughs> yeah. okay, you know, hey, we're going to win now and we'll pay for it later. Later on, if it's, a, if it's a headache, you know what? That's what three rings cost. And they got them. So you can't even give them that much grief for that, even though currently they're, they're working their way through it. But today they did a heck of a job working through it because they got someone to take it off their hands. So uh, it's, uh, it, really, it was a very, very special team. Uh, and, and the remnants still remain. And I'm so uh, eager to see what Jonathan Taves, uh, assuming that he's able to start this next season on time after the, the uh, frustrating for him, I'm sure, year of illness that he had. Uh, he had a yeah. very, very good year the year before uh, after a bit of a, a downstretch. So I'm curious to see what he could do uh, and what Patrick King can do. And, and I guess we'll find out with this little bit of relief that the Chicago Blackhawks have been able to give themselves are there enough pieces there with the oncoming, uh, you know, Alex DeBrinket? And, you know, they've got some young players there again. They were just in a lot of salary cap trouble. I don't know. Are they able to catch lightning in a ball and rejuvenate it and give it one more run during the time that Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are still there? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think that's kind of the big question right now for the Chicago Blackhawks is you've got two guys in Kane and Taves that are still there. They are fierce competitors. We've seen what they've been able to do in certain stretches, especially in the bubble when they were able to, to upset the Edmonton Oilers. So yep. I, I wonder if there's another run given – uh, a, a few more moves, a couple more acquisitions, whether or not there's another run in Taves and Kane uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I mean, if there's if there's two players that I, I don't really bet against much these days, it's those two. Now, they got to get there, right? Like uh, regular season, they, they're going to have to show up. They're going to have to find a way to get into the playoffs. But I mean, if, if you're asking me to to discount Taves and Kane in the playoffs, I'm not going to do it. And, you know, again, you look at the position they've put themselves in now, okay? You've got – and just to, to quickly bounce back to it quickly, what, what is Edmonton looking to do? They're bringing on Keith. They're, they have uh, – let's, let's presume Tyson Berry is likely out the door. Uh, Adam Larson, maybe they'll resign him. Maybe they won't. You know, maybe part of that is making some room because they do have Philip Broberg, a first-rounder from two years ago on the back end. Uh, and and uh, one draft prior to that, Evan Bouchard, who not that they're ready to be NHL everyday players yet, but maybe, maybe they're trying to make a little room for some inexpensive young defensemen on the way. Maybe that's part of their plan over the next couple of years. Anyway, on the flip side, though, as they're trying to navigate that, look at Chicago's situation right now where they have about 
two in cap space, it looks like. So their cap situation is not great, but they just got a little bit of breathing room. And they have Kane for the next couple of years. Dabrinkit, Dominic Kubalik uh, on an, a pretty affordable deal for the next year before they have to revisit that again. Uh, Dylan Strom's been better in Chicago than he's been anywhere else. Kirby Dock is young. On the back end, uh, Calvin DeHaan. Connor Murphy's been good in his setting. Point is, Adam Boquist is young. They've got some good players who they still hope are going to be on the upswing. And with the removal of the Keith contract, maybe they get to take a swing at one significant guy to, to spurt the engine a little bit. I don't think they're going to be able to do anything that's going to make them overwhelmingly dramatically better than we saw last year. But as some more of these numbers start to come off the books, maybe they, you know, t I think today's, today's deal gave them a lot of freedom to start making some arrangements for the next two seasons to try to accelerate the track a little. The, the other question that I come up with when it comes to Chicago, and, and especially with this Duncan Keith trade, is you've got Taves and Kane under contract for the next two years. Now, what do you do at that point? Say it's not it's the 2022-23 season, and you are, you're looking at what life might look like without Jonathan Taves, without Patrick Kane. Do you expect those two players to finish out their career as Chicago Blackhawks. And if not, if things don't necessarily improve for Chicago next season, are we kind of in this same spot next year with uh, the potential of, of Taves and Kane being traded? It's going to be a hard trade. Yeah. You've got, you, you know, that one, I think you'd have to do something to retain a little bit of salary because I just said that I think Chicago has like six and change of, of cap space. I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know if that number even factors in Jonathan Taves' hit because he was on long-term injured reserve. So whenever that happens, Tave is 10.5, Kane is 10.5. It's going to be really hard to move 10.5 for either of them without hanging on to something. Um you know, at that point, especially two guys who are absolutely going to have their numbers hanging in the rafters, it's it's factored into your into your deal, into your uh, financial plan. They've got two years left on their contract. Maybe you just let it run its course. If you if you can find a taker, great. But maybe you let it run its course, uh, and then and then it's off your books entirely. And and you know, I don't know that that Chicago's in a, a win now window where they need to move. If there's if there's a taker, amazing. But it's not like those two names have really showed up at the deadline before because I think we just all understand that those are two capits that are really, really hard to move, either one or both. And then last thing here on Chicago, because I, I think that this is pretty interesting. Getting out of the contract, that's that's awesome. Whether or not they make a, a, a subsequent move, whether or not they're trying to uh, supplement this this roster, this lineup, the, the question for me becomes goaltending. You've got Colin Delia, Malcolm Subban, Kevin Lankinen, all under contract for just under $3 million going into next season. Uh, the question for me is if you are the Chicago Blackhawks and you're trying to kind of turn things around, at least give yourself a shot to be be a little bit closer to a playoff spot or try to get yourself a run with Taves and Kane in the next two years under those contracts, are you not looking for something to supplement your goaltending? <sighs> you know, it's so hard to say. Yes, if the right deal's there, fine, but I think we've all gotten a good look that it's kind of, it's always a risk to throw money at goaltending in uh, in, in free agency if it's not if it's not absolutely perfect. 
Uh, I think Kevin Lankinen won a, uh, a world championship two years back now with uh, Finland. I know they liked him a lot in Rockford. They liked Colin Delia. Uh, it takes time for goaltending to develop. I, I wonder if you give one of those guys a chance. Of course, we know what Malcolm Subban could do from when he was here in Vegas. You know, I think, I think again, they're not that close. If they can catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, some Kirby Doc, from, he's going to be a good player. But if they have some guys take leaps and bounds and they find themselves in January say, hey, we're really in the thick of this thing. Maybe you're looking at deadline acquisitions. That, that could be a thing for sure. I think right now they're in a position to stay the course, make smart financial moves, take money off the books when the opportunity presents itself, give the kids lots of time, and let someone win a job and, and try to – to establish themselves again it's there's no shame after winning three cups in a decade there's no shame in rebuilding <laughs> and if you can rebuild on the fly even even better you think about it the last year and a half the blackhawks have been surprisingly competitive not threatening right. not threatening but interesting so and that's why i say if, if someone will take kane and taves off your off your books and those two want a chance to go somewhere else or something sure you can entertain it it's, it's hard but it's it's It'll give you financial relief. It's it's something to entertain, but if it doesn't happen, that's okay. You know, having Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and have them be the two guys you're really, really paying, and everyone else is on young rookie deals and learning and, and you know manageable contracts. That's the cost of doing business. It it cost us twenty mil twenty one million dollars to those two guys to get three <laughs> rings, and it was worth every single penny. And we'll let them ride off into the sunset as they do. And then they'll be 33. And if they want to come back for less money or move on, that'll be their prerogative. But, you know, you don't you don't have to force it uh, unless your roster performs in a way that says, hey, we might as well take advantage of the, the nice bounce we've been given. The the lightning in a bottle, that's always something that I find interesting because you look at Vegas in, in 2017, you look at what the Montreal Canadiens were able to do in the playoffs, you never know when you can just put together a run that is either going to last for a regular season and a playoff run or just a playoff run. So, well, uh, right, right. Think, think, about, guys, think about a couple of years, ago, years ago in recent, uh, recent memory. Think of the St. Louis Blues. They yeah, were not no, overwhelmingly you're, you're right. special in the regular season. We think of Jordan Bennington as being the lightning in a bottle, and he was. But that whole team got hot at exactly the right time. And I think the last couple of years since then, good hockey team, but not great hockey team. You know, they caught it right at the right time. And then I think they tried to supplement that. And the moves they've tried to supplement it with haven't exactly panned out the way they would want them to. But, you know, th that's a team that they got a ring and they'll be, ha you know, that's, they never take that away from you. But they were a team that I think timed it perfectly, got exactly what they wanted, and now they're right in that is that situation of trying to find it again to see if they can replicate it. You, you know, you bring up an interesting point with the Blues because I, I think we all talk ourselves into like understanding or or maybe overrating a team that wins a Stanley Cup because they win a Stanley Cup. And mm. for me, like in terms of trying to assess the Blues since winning, I have not been particularly impressed with that team since they won the Stanley Cup. It's great that they won it. It's awesome for the fan base that they were able to get the ring, 100%. But I, I do wonder, like, in, in the moment that it happens, right, when you finally get to the top of the mountain, how how do you kind of pull back the layer a little bit and say, is this the product of a really, really well-constructed, well-put-together team, or is this a team that figured out what they needed to do in that moment? They did catch lightning in a bottle, and then the subsequent moves that you make are ones that accurately ref reflect what your team actually is. 
And there's a way that you can bury yourself trying to to chase that. You know, Icarus flying right. a little too close to the sun. There, if you think of it on a smaller scale, you don't need to. We're so eager to turn every cup win into can they do it again, instead of appreciating sure. it for what it is. And instead of thinking it as this is the best team we've ever seen, no, it's a team that found a way to win. Just like a team yeah. that gets outshot 40-20 to 20 and wins 2-1. <laughs> they found a way to win, and the two points go next to their name in the column. The ring goes on your finger. They can't take it away. You won. You found a way. You're the boxer who got outpunched the entire fight but landed one on the chin and knocked the guy out, and you win. That's We don't need to work, worry about style points. So in, in the Blues example, they did exactly what they needed to do. Then they tried to add to it, and it hasn't, it hasn't really worked out. Some of the players regressed from what they did then. The cap situation's got a little tight for St. Louis. They're just trying to find a formula like anyone is. There's nothing wrong with that. If you look at Montreal, is Montreal, after their run this season, supposed to go out now and throw the kitchen sink at because we were three w wins away? No. No. They should appreciate <laughs> no. that some young players got some amazing experience, performed very well in that setting, and now say, okay, what are we going to do? Let's try to win our division this year. Let's, let's continue and stay on the path we were on, not get ahead of ourselves, and realize that for that month, we were a really good hockey team that did a lot of things right, but let's not forget about how we assessed ourselves from you know January through April. That, that counts, too. So, you know, I, I think I, I think that's where a lot of teams need to find themselves. Right now, you know, t Tampa Bay is going to have to do a little <laughs> bit of cap resetting, but they should be thinking about winning again because they're the best team in hockey right now. Every other team should be trying to find the, uh, the, the combination that will get them there and then see how you can uh, supplement that. That is Brian McCormick, our special guest host today, taking the place of Darren Millard as he is in Tokyo for the Olympics. We are back with more on the VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Now back to Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. DGK Insider Show, hour number one coming to a close. Hour number two is going to be jam-packed. We'll have Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us in just a few minutes to talk about the VGK fan survey on The Athletic as well as what the Golden Knights should do in the offseason. We'll also get to some one-timers. We're saving the biggest story of the day. Yes, Duncan Keith was traded, but the biggest story of the day happens to revolve around Pierre Maguire, and I know that that's <laughs> going to be very, very entertaining and fun for Brian McCormick, so I'm going to save that for one-timers. We've still got a lot more to get to here on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. <laughs> 